You're listening to Her Body IOFM with your hosts, Alex Navarro and Andrea Jengel, the women's source for optimal health and lifelong performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Her Body, brought to you by Body IO FM. I'm your host, Alex Navarro, and I'm very excited for today's episode because we have a Carrie back on the show with us. Hi, Carrie. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing well today. Welcome back. Thanks. I'm um, pretty excited about what we're going to talk about because, well, it, your story is interesting um, all around, but one thing we've mentioned in the past two episodes, um, sort of just sharing your story and giving everyone a little insight as to who you are, what you've been through um, the past few years, also your experience with uh, dieting and and eating patterns in the way past. Um, But one thing we want to focus on today is training specifics and more along the lines of the experiments and the various modalities of training that we've played with while working together um, and how we've adjusted those not only for your aesthetic results um, but for wherever we were with the various diet protocols and where you were physically and in your life because uh, through the time we've worked together there have been a lot of different circumstances that have come up um, that we've mentioned in, in previous shows and we've had to make pretty significant modifications and adjustments along the way to fit each various circumstance or, or situation um, that we happen to be in. Yeah. So just yeah, to give, we have some of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say some of that, of course, is you know things that happen in life, like the surgeries. But then also my, my geeky personality and <laughs> wanting to learn every different exercise modality there was out there, <laughs> uh, and wanting to try all those new things. That oh, it it would derail my goals sometimes. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that that's yeah. an important, if, if there's any takeaway from this, <laughs> that's it, is, um, you know, understanding what your goal is, your primary goal, and adjusting everything else to fit that. And for the most part, mm-hmm. your primary goal has always been body composition changes. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's true. Um, I just had so much weight to lose. And, and you know, that was really what what I saw, what everybody else saw, and that needed to change most drastically, even not just aesthetically, but for health purposes, that had to change. And so it had to be the primary goal. But as we got closer to that goal, and and really, if I don't change anymore, I'm I'm great right where I am. Uh, Then I started to play with the exercise and, and uh, different kinds of training that I thought would be interesting. But yeah, primarily we've been looking at body composition goals. And I think that having like a variety of training protocols that one can experiment with is great for, for a lot of reasons, but one of which it's, you know, we, we tend to get bored. Um, and, and like you said, <laughs> you, you know, you're a scientist, you wanna, you wanna try things out, you wanna experiment. There's a lot of trial and error that goes into things. And mm-hmm. like we've mentioned on, on lots of shows and lots of articles on Body.io is, you know, there is gonna be a level of experimentation and we wanna encourage you to find something that you enjoy doing also. 
um, not only that is like very right for your body and what you can handle and what, you know, gets you excited to go and do that activity, um, but something that actually is fitting for your needs. Um, and I remember, I'm, I'm thinking back to when we, we very first met and you came to me with, with what your goals were, which I was excited about mm-hmm. because your enthusiasm was um, just, I just wanted to eat it up. I was like, okay, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) You were just game for anything, and I love that. And I could tell that you were going to be committed to whatever whatever we attempted to do, which is, uh, you know, honestly, my favorite type of person to work with. Um, But before we get into that, do you want to give us just a brief rundown of like your your past um, activity experience, like any kind of sports that you played, um, activity level when you were Mm -hmm. younger, just to give us an idea. Uh, sports I played in junior high and high school included softball, basketball, I ran track, I did gymnastics. Um, and then, of course, I was in the marching band. And when you do marching band to its full extent, that is actually a physical activity as well. And sure. so those are really uh, my physical activities that I did. Um, and then, of course, oh, well, uh, recreationally, water skiing, snow skiing, hiking. Uh, those are other activities from junior high and high school age. Uh, college it really changed more to, instead of doing sports, I would just go work out. I would go to the gym and do gym type things. I was still in the college marching band and still did snow skiing until I couldn't anymore. Cause eventually I gained enough weight that that was a very, very hard activity. So that was college. And then after that, uh, once I entered the world of work and then went on to work on my PhD, the activities were very, very focused on what was going on in the gym. And it was always intense. It was always an hour, hour and a half, high intensity, cardio. I would do some weightlifting, but it was still done very quickly without very much rest. Mm -hmm. And so my heart rate was up pretty high the whole time. And that was whether I was by myself or with a trainer. Mm -hmm. So really high intensity. Mm -hmm. And what were the results of that, Um, both in aesthetic changes and in, say, like strength and and. Any, any positive changes that you notice from doing that type of exercise? The positive changes were not aesthetic. Okay. I never lost fat. I never actually looked better, but I was strong. Mm-hmm. And I also had great cardiac endurance. And so when I did get in a situation where I was hiking with friends, I could out hike them for hours. I could out shop my sister-in-law for (laughs) hours in a day, you know, and that, that takes energy. And so there was a benefit. And I think that's why I didn't have some of the most horrible diseases that a 300 pound person can have is that I was keeping my heart in good shape. I was Mm -hmm. maintaining muscle. I wasn't just sitting around doing nothing. So The benefits of those were strength and cardiac endurance, but I had no positive aesthetic changes. Makes sense. 
and, and I that's think we'll summary. And we'll, we'll get a little bit more um, details as to why that might be when we talk about some of our mm-hmm. our uh, more recent training experiments. Um, but one thing yeah. that that you said in terms of your strength, which was is probably one of the first things that I noticed about you when we did train together, was you surprised the hell out of me. You're so strong. I mean, when you think of someone who's overweight, yeah. um, which at the time you you still um, had had mm-hmm. some weight on. It was, mm-hmm. you know, you never really know what to expect. You, you, you imagine them just being out of shape, but man, you can really push some weight. I was like excited <clears throat> yeah. and, and, and shocked. I was like, okay, she's like, A, she's serious about this and B, we can, I can actually work with this. Like we can get a lot of stuff done, um, which was really exciting. But there were a few yes, things that, they, that held us back. It, it was deceptive. It was, mm-hmm. well, it was deceptive to yeah. me because I knew I was strong. And so when I got into the gym, that was a facade in my brain that allowed me to think that I really was fit mm-hmm. and that I really didn't necessarily need a lot of help and a lot of training. And so uh, once I, when I finally came to you, my head was in a different place. I had finally begun to realize something was missing mm-hmm. and I really was ready to hear somebody break me down, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and tell me, you know, this is really what you need to do and this is how you need to move. Mm -hmm. So. And that takes a lot of evaluation. You know, I remember there, there are definitely some basic movements that, I mean, any good, good trainer should put any client through, um, just sort of an evaluation Mm -hmm. assessment process to just see, you know, where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, um, any imbalances. And there were quite a few areas that were limiting for us. Mm-hmm. 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 And more, more I well, would say, what, in range of motion? Yes. Range of motion was a problem. Uh, my biggest range of motion issue were, were my hips. I could not get into a good squat. And I know that everybody doesn't necessarily need to squat below 90 degrees. But when I got close to that, my knees just locked. They Mm -hmm. would not move any further. Um, And so because of that, it had my hips had then become where they wouldn't move completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when you go down into a squat, you know, you need to have your legs spread apart, the knees moving apart, letting the body fall down in between the legs. And I had no ability to do that. Mm -hmm. And so that was a problem. Um, you know, I don't, I had some range of motion issues with my arm, my back, my chest, you know, getting into, um, uh, external rotation in my shoulders. I had some problems with that. Um, strength wise, I think one of the things that I remember so clearly about our first session together (laughs) was when, uh, we did the. Uh, the Y uh, raises for your back where you're on the bench, the incline bench and you're face down oh, and the, you have your arms in, out in a Y. The incline prone and all, front raises. Yeah. And all you have to do is, yeah, the prone raises uh-huh. and you just have to move them a little bit. With no I weight. Couldn't move them at all. <laughs> with no yeah, weight. With no weight. And I couldn't uh-huh. move them at all. And I thought, 
how can I be so strong and I cannot even lift up my arms? Mm -hmm. This is wacky. And um, then it's also at that moment that I realized that to, to get better, you don't have to lift a huge amount of weight a very long distance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to move a little bit of weight a little distance. Yep. And of course, that's what my back needed. So. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And and I think for anybody in any program, um, you know, it's easy to just jump right into a program. Um, but it's to really have like take advantage of the program, whatever it might be, going through some sort of a, a basic you know, range of motion assessment um, or movement mm-hmm. analysis of yourself, um, whether that's something you can find online or you you do see a professional who can help guide you through that. It's going to make it mm-hmm. so much easier to then tackle those bigger movements because you're going to have a much better understanding of how your body moves or how it doesn't move. Um, mm-hmm. Because again, you know, it's easy for us to just go through the motions, but not necessarily feel what we're supposed to be feeling. And if you don't have those cues, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. Another range of motion that I had trouble with. So if I'm standing, it would just be like standing and then stepping up Mm -hmm. and over some sort of a obstacle in your way, you know, just something Mm -hmm. that you need to step up and over. I could not bring my leg up to 90 degrees. Oh, that's right. I remember that. And so it was very weird. And it was for a couple of reasons. One, my abs were relatively weak. Mm-hmm. And you've got to use your abs to get that flexion. But you also have to use your hip flexors. Well, I had done so many exercises focusing just on my abs and not my hip flexors that my hip flexors had gotten weak. Mm-hmm. And they actually need to be strong. They just, you don't need to work them when you're trying to work your abs. (laughs) And then on top of that, I had fat on my tummy and extra skin. And so then when I would bring my leg up to 90 degrees, it would hit that. And so then I was having to, not only was I weak, but compress that extra tissue And so I couldn't lift my leg above or even up to 90 degrees to step over something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was a big eye opener because you would think anybody could be able to do that. And I couldn't. It was a very basic move. Right. And even to the point where if you physically, like strength wise, were able to do that, there were just things in the way that was inhibiting the the range. Mm -hmm. So we did have to make modifications. Yeah, yeah. Because if I took a strap or something, I could pull the leg into it. So it wasn't the hip or, you know, the uh, the structure of the skeleton that was keeping me from moving. It was things in the way and weakness. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. curious. Well, no, it was. And it, it was definitely, um, I mean, I enjoyed the challenge <laughs> for myself personally, just in, <laughs> in programming, um, because you were the first mm-hmm. one that I worked with that had just a varying levels of um, <laughs> challenges, <laughs> which, you know, mm-hmm. I'm happy to say I feel like we, we've come such a long way in, in improving all of those. Um, and that, that kind of is a, is a great segue into the 
you know, the various training modalities that we played with um, mm-hmm. over the years. And, and one thing I definitely want to emphasize is that your primary goal never changed. So through all of the different yeah. training yeah. modalities and, and, and um, splits and approaches that we took, those were more just to help increase range, increase range of motion, increase uh, flexibility, mm-hmm. see what your body could really do once it was able to move properly. Um, and I think that that, yes. that was a, also a lot of fun um, just to see how we could adjust the training to where it was effective for you know being, being able to physically do what you wanted but maintain that aesthetic body composition goal so mm-hmm. while doing all mm-hmm. of this um, for the most part we maintained carbonite and um, we did experiment with you know adding in a little bit uh, like a small back load here and there when it was appropriate mm-hmm. but I think it's important mm-hmm. for the listeners to understand that while we experimented with all this training while some of it was very effective for our the overall goal not all of it was um, mm-hmm. so the after we you know worked together for a while you Saw great, great improvements. Um, and then going into the next year, there were some adjustments well, we had to make. Yeah. So let me, uh, let me explain. So when we first started working together, you, you put me on a, a program where there were some big strength moves. So there were some squats, there were some deadlifts, but um, we only did them within the range of motion that I could do them in. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes we did, uh, rack pulls instead of full deadlifts, mm-hmm. you know, because there were, I didn't necessarily have full deadlift range of motion there at the beginning. So when we were working on the big moves like that, we didn't use those to help us gain range of motion. We just did those for strength and for muscle building within the range that I already had. Then on top of that, we would do range of motion exercises Mm -hmm. and, you know, very specific body parts instead of whole body movements like the squat and the deadlift are. We would then do, okay, so I would say, I really am disappointed in the strength of my arms. And so then you would write a program. Of course, we were doing full body, but it would maybe be a little arm heavy, you know, Mm -hmm. that six weeks. But always in there, there were range of motion exercises. And that is actually something I had to get used to because when I say, okay, I can be in the gym for an hour and you would write that program. I wasn't huffing and puffing and blowing and going that whole hour. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of full body exercises that were really effective for strength and really effective for some muscle building. I had a few that were targeted to specific body parts. And all of that did not seem like as hard of workouts as I had been doing previously. Mm-hmm. And then I would even have to dial it down even more when it came time to do mobility work. Right. But had I not done the mobility work and I, you know, if I just thought, oh, this is too easy. This is not really a workout. This is, this is not what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have never actually gotten better at the things like squats and deadlifts mm-hmm. because I noticed even over a six week period of time, 
if I did the mobility, the big lifts got better. Yep. If I did not do the mobility, the big lifts did not get better. And I never, I didn't increase weight. Right. So it was fascinating how working the mobility and working slower made my power better, my strength better, my range of motion better. Mm-hmm. So I could, and I could tell that difference in just a six week period of time. Um, Which is great. And that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's got, that got me to a place that was really from about February to the 1st of August that this ha- that happened. And just following that really very simple program made so much change in my body and my strength and in my range of motion that I really, then the next thing we were going to talk about is surgeries. Mm -hmm. Well, I had to have a knee surgery in August and that was just to clean out some floaters, but I went into that knee surgery strong. I went into that knee surgery with more range of motion in my knee than I'd ever had. Mm -hmm. And then once those floaters were out, we were able to then take it up to the next level because they had been causing so much pain in the knee. Right. Well, then that. now I didn't have the pain in the knee and we continued the programming that we were doing, but I already had so much more range of motion. You could write, you know, more difficult protocols, more difficult exercises. Mm-hmm. I could, I could go deeper in the squat. I could do a better hip hinge on the deadlift. And then that, the muscles really started to grow then. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, and, and because I couldn't, I didn't have a good range of motion in my back. It really limited me on what I could lift. Mm-hmm. It's true. So getting my chest to open up, getting my back to open up, me to build build muscle there that uh, you know I so that then from August to October we had the most amazing gains that I have had in my entire workout career mm-hmm. just those very short few months mm-hmm. because everything came together right so. right we sort of set you up and prepped everything appropriately so that when it was time mm-hmm. your body was ready to do it like really it do did it. it and it yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it took three months or so to teach the body what to do mm-hmm. and teach my head what to do, right. you know, because I had to learn to be patient and, but, but the, the, the gain that happened after that three months, I mean, it's like, it's like a logarithmic curve, mm-hmm. you know, it's this slow progression and while the body figures out and the brain figures out what's going on and then it gets it. And then it's just straight up. You know, you just get so much better so fast. Um, Which actually isn't that that much time if you think about it. Like when we're we're thinking about like, you know, however long you've been alive and however long you've been exercising and however long you continue to exercise, three months, while it seems very, I I know because I've done it too, extremely tedious Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I have to do this again. Um, You know, I don't feel like I'm actually doing anything. But, you know, again, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long of a period of time. No, to it's put not. in that kind of work. It's not. And, and, 
And that's the head game mm-hmm. because so many people come into the gym or, or, you know, to a nutrition specialist and say, you know, I want to get in this dress in three weeks or I have a wedding to go to in six weeks. And and you're like, this is going to take three months. <laughs> right. And and they're like, oh, that's too long. Like, how long have you been alive? Oh, <laughs> right. Exactly. How long have you been overweight? How long have you been unhealthy? Mm-hmm. Three months is just a drop in the bucket. Right. And so, but I was ready to, I had, I mean, I guess given up, if you want to call it that. I'd given up striving for the short-term goal. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to get real. Right. Which which I think really set us up well to go into the next couple years. Because yes. we came across we then came across so many other I don't want to say obstacles, but I mean, we knew that they were going to come. So we were, we were somewhat prepared for them. Um, but having right. then gone through the series of surgeries that you did, we did just what we did with the knee surgery. We, we prepped for it and did mm-hmm. very specific um, strategic mm-hmm. range of motion mobility work following each procedure mm-hmm. to get you back into a point where you're ready to take it on again. And I think that exactly. that was that- critical. Yeah, that first surgery was the abdominoplasty and the thigh lift. And I knew that I'd you know, done enough research to know that I was going to be hunched over mm-hmm. and that my stomach wasn't going to want to straighten up. So I knew that my lower back was going to be taking a heavy hit. And that's something that I'd heard people complain about. They were like, oh, my low back hurts so much. And I went, mm, mine's not going to hurt. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> and I thought, it's not, the reason their low back hurts when they're bent over like that is because their glutes and their hamstrings are weak. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we did prior to the, that first surgery is we made sure, one, that my back was strong. But we also made sure that my all my posterior chain was super strong, mm-hmm. knowing it was going to have to take a big hit for, I don't know, a week, two weeks, a month. At the time, I had no idea how long I would be kind of bent over. Right. And so we prepped the posterior chain prior to that surgery. And so then, sure enough, I, I was bent over, but... I also chatted with the doctor. Now, this is where mobility comes back in. And I asked him, when can I start trying to stretch that skin, you know, back mm-hmm. to where it belongs? And he told me, you know, what do, what strength the incisions were and so forth. And so after about a month, then, okay, so well, let's see, what did we do? I, I did work out during that time, mm-hmm. but just not a lot. I took right. about three weeks off completely, but I walked every day. Mm-hmm. I walked 10 to 30 minutes every day, no matter what. So that was something that was really good. It kept all the blood circulating. It, it kept muscle on me. It, that's, you know, really, really important. Mm-hmm. Then, okay, so my lower body was somewhat inhibited, but my arms were not. So I would go into the gym, I would do upper body, I would do overhead press, I would do bicep curls, uh, you know, tricep extensions, uh, just, you know, shrugs, rows, anything I could to work my upper body. Um, Then when I could start stretching the skin, 
then it was mobility work. It was um, little exercises to, you know, bending backwards over a ball, uh, doing whatever I needed to, to kind of stretch that skin out again. Um, and now there was only six weeks though, in between each of my surgeries. Right. So, so we didn't have a lot of time. Very, <laughs> no, no, there wasn't. So it was only, you know, six weeks of walking, um, maybe two weeks of a little bit of weight training and a week of some mobility, mm-hmm. but it was something. We still right. did it. We still planned, you know, every little bit added up. Um, the second surgery, <laughs> now this one, uh, this one tied me up actually a little bit more than I had anticipated. That was um, the arms and the breast, uh, the skin removal. Mm-hmm. And boy, that that did a number on the pecs. Yes, uh, yes, and so, <laughs> it definitely does. Yeah, For anybody who's, they, who's gone through a, a an augmentation procedure will mm-hmm. be very familiar yeah. with what we're going to be talking the about. Pecs, the pecs are funny. And, you know, I can only imagine that women that have um, mastectomies mm-hmm. must go through something very similar because that muscle gets, you know, so... Um, traumatized Mm -hmm. during that surgery also. So uh, whether it's breast reduction, breast enlargement or breast removal, those pecs, oh my goodness, when they, they like shut down, Mm -hmm. they, they, they they don't even want to, or they just kind of go into a contracted position and they just stay there and they don't want to move. And so which then inhibits that one was everything else in the upper body. It is. You can't you can't reach up, you can't pour your coffee, you can't you can't do anything and it's not even because it hurts. It's because the muscles have told decided we're not moving. You hurt us. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so um and I know that the glutes and and glutes are that way. Uh, not the glutes. But yes, the glutes are that way to protect your knee that they'll shut down like that. Uh, but I didn't know the pecs would do that too. Mm-hmm. And it's probably just to keep you from ripping your shoulder out of the socket, you know, Likely. under trauma. But <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, that was tough. But I could do lower body work. Mm-hmm. And so I would do squats. I would do deadlifts. But I would do them weightless. I, mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't add any weight. It mm-hmm. was just air squats. Right. And it was just you know, one uh, single leg deadlifts without uh, any weight, but right. it didn't matter. It was, it was valuable and it was only for a couple of weeks before I had to go into the next surgery. Okay. Um, but yeah, it really, really helped keep me in good physical general, you know, general physical shape. It also, it made it where I was in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. Because if I had just been out of pocket for nine months and not be able to work out and felt out of control, I think I would have gotten depressed and sad. Mm -hmm. Whereas these little special workouts that were designed to use what I could use and improve what was broken Mm -hmm. gave me control and power. And it really helped me get through that time. Yeah, I can imagine. And and even then, Mm -hmm. just reinforcing the 
the adherence to then the diet portion of it. Because again, like we still had our overall goal, um, which, you know, we, we've mm-hmm. talked about in, in previous podcasts, you know, just in being able to manipulate that based on each scenario we dealt with. But mm-hmm. I imagine that, you know, still being able to be physically active in some way made then the diet part that much easier because you knew that they were going to be working together, um, which then helps exactly. you be excited and be motivated to keep going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we said early on in the podcast that I've always had the same goal and that was, you know, body composition. I, I, I gave up the fat loss goal during those surgeries simply because I knew that there was a bigger picture, right? The, I mean, you know, there was something more important and that was to get me through these surgeries and heal. Mm-hmm. I did not expect to have further fat loss necessarily during right. that time frame, right. And I did not know going into it that I would be able to preserve all my muscle. Which I think is I, amazing. I mean, just looking yeah. at all of those DEXs was so exciting. <laughs> And, and, and reaffirming, yeah, I, you know, that like, okay, this is working. We're doing something right. This, this, this <laughs> and because honestly, bit. right, that you were my first time ever, you know, really trying to manipulate so many things for so many different scenarios. And uh, gosh, it really worked just beautifully. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're, I want, let's go on to after these surgeries are over, because yeah. it's really just the same story, different day, right, different right. body parts. <laughs> but but after, um, you know, I think once once they were all done, we had some like really fun goals to work with. We did, but we were still inhibited because even though the surgeries were over, even though I was basically healed, there were still range of motion issues caused by the surgeries. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so absolutely. even though, you know, my next goal was hey, I want to take a gymnastics training class with the (laughs) national gymnastics team coach in Denver. Cool. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm like, okay. I was like, I love your enthusiasm. I'm like, okay, what is she going to ask me to do next? (laughs) This is great. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I wanted that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but something about gymnasts, that we all know they have good range of motion. Oh yeah. So it was fortuitous that that really was my next goal because what I needed more than anything is to get my full range of motion back. One, what that I had lost during the surgeries, but also that I'd never had to begin with because I'd never gotten full range of motion even prior to that. That's true. What better than gymnastics? And so that's when we started training for the gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And um, I had worked, uh, well, there were, just, there were so many things that are really important when you're doing gymnastics, getting the shoulders um, opened up. Um, gosh, range of motion in your feet. Range of motion in your ankles. Just little things that you don't really think about when you're just walking around every day because we're always generally doing the same movements. You know, we're walking forward. Rarely do we walk from side to side or backwards. um, So we don't think about movements in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, And you think, oh, yeah, my wrists move fine. My ankles move fine. Well, 
take some gymnastics classes and you discover that your wrists and ankles don't move fine. <laughs> so, so, okay. Now, so this is now another kind of a goal change, right? I mean, yes, I still have these body composition goals, but I really do need to work some body parts I've never worked before. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't spend all my time. I'm working my glutes. <laughs> right. you, know, you know, so I had to, to, I couldn't do it all. Mm-hmm. I, I had to give up one thing to get another. Now, I didn't did at that point there was still some strength training but there was a lot of work we did a lot more body weight work a lot more um, extension like um let me think like lifting weights in when you're in an extended position right um i don't even know what how to describe that but it's all about lengthening and strengthening at the same time and um a lot less heavy weight work And again, the, the workouts got easier and harder, right? (laughs) They were harder. They were harder because I, I was working body parts I'd never worked before, but again, they were less, less intense. Mm -hmm. So it was an interesting place to be for those. And it's, I mean, and that's something that I experienced too when I was um, experimenting with the gymnastics training as well, was just in the, like the simplicity of the movements, but the, mm-hmm. the challenge that was there because they were so different than what I had been doing before. And um, I mean, I'll, I'll put a link into the article of, of where I experimented with the carbs in the gymnastics training. It's a mm-hmm. carbs, a balancing mm-hmm. act. And that's something mm-hmm. that really surprised me. It was like, okay, these are very basic moves. I'll just throw them in like I would any other training program. And uh, I didn't see see that coming, like the, the, the difference I was going to feel in my body and how then I needed to adjust the food, which for me was something I didn't want to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember... See, now I did not alter the food, but I also didn't train to the degree that you were for, right. for that. You right. were, you know, training for the master's class and I'm just training for the beginner. <laughs> <laughs> and we, but, we did do a, com- you know, a combination just, of, of the gymnastics training and still maintained some degree of shockwave for that we reason. Did. We did. And that was and exactly because it i wasn't doing the master's class and it was more of just kind of for the knowledge and entertainment value of it and i still needed to be strong and i still wanted to lose some fat and so that's why the shockwave was really valuable mm-hmm. so i just remember there was a there's a series where you just do um like a 1 minute plank a 1 minute and at hollow body plank, and then you alternate it with a table hold for 30 seconds. Uh-huh. And all you have to do that, you only have to do that five times. And when that would come up, I would just be like, you know, 
this is going to be over in about seven minutes, but I will want to shoot myself before it is over. <laughs> and you think it's just a, it's a table hold and a plank. I mean, right. You're literally on. just holding yourself up. <laughs> so yeah, you're like, how hard could that be? But no, it, it gets hard. So, but I loved that, that in interjecting that really fun, different kind of training was neat. Mm-hmm. It was very, very neat. Mm-hmm. And when it was over, hey, I loved what I had done and I was ready to get back on. Right. Right. My, and then we, we had, you know, your body was then at a completely different level too to be able to experiment with more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. techniques, more movements um, that now yeah. allowed us to, to achieve greater range of motions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I really took a turn on some training this last summer, though, that I think while it gave me a great body of knowledge, it derailed me from my goals in general more than anything had before. And that is uh, this summer, I decided to do some Olympic weightlifting and I decided to do some CrossFit. (laughs) And while the gymnastics was complimentary to kind of my overall goals, it ended up that the Olympic weightlifting and the CrossFit was not. Right. Um, at least with the way I was eating. And right. that's not something I wanted to experiment with mm-hmm. uh, this summer. But I wanted to learn Olympic weightlifting. And so I went to um, one of my good friends who's an Olympic weightlifter, uh, competed in the Arnold. She's a strong woman athlete. And, she's like a total you know, badass. Knew, total badass. Oh, she's amazing. She's awesome. Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I knew that she was the one I wanted to train me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't go to her and say, I want to do Olympic weightlifting and I still want to lose fat. I didn't do that. And I was like, teach me this. Mm-hmm. And I went all in. And uh, over the couple of months that I worked with her on that, um, I loved what I learned. I loved my new techniques. I loved everything about it, except for <laughs> when in the, in the mirror, there were these, my, my tummy was bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I could actually, I could still see my abs but my stomach itself was larger, which I knew that meant that I was gaining visceral fat. And sure enough, I had a DEXA towards the end of that time. And it showed that I had gained some visceral fat, which is typically put on under stress situations. Right. So I was working out in such a way that it was stressing my body and I wasn't recovering very well from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my body wasn't handling the stress. And then it actually got worse when I did CrossFit. Uh, I, I wanted, again, to work with one of the best CrossFit gyms in the country. Um, and in order to, and I was about to move away from San Francisco. And so I knew I had to get that CrossFit training in so that I could work with those guys at that gym. And, um, CrossFit even made it worse (laughs) (laughs) because at that point, I, at the end of that uh, few weeks, few weeks. uh, Right. You didn't do it for long. You didn't do it for long. No, it was Mm -hmm. a few weeks of that. And I had another DEXA. And not only did I have at that point, the visceral fat, 
but I had subcutaneous abdominal fat as well. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I, I gained fat and only in one spot of my body, and that was my belly. And um, again, and some of it was visceral. So I know that it was a stress response. Now, could I have, if I decided I wanted to be a CrossFit athlete or an Olympic weightlifter, might I have been able to modify the diet, you know, do some meditation, modify my lifestyle a little bit to make it work? Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, it could be that my body doesn't react well to that, that type of work. Right. Which is Um, true. And you know, if that had, if that had been the case, that would have had, I would have had to have a, you know, a, you know, that would have had to be clear to me. I would have to make good decisions about whether I wanted to carry on that particular style of workout or not. But it would be interesting at some point, not anytime soon, but (laughs) to try make one of those again. Right. And do a diet change Mm -hmm. with it and see if I respond better. Right. So I love the experience that I had, but then I had to spend the next three months getting that belly fat back off. Right. Because while it came on in two or three weeks, it took two or three months to get it back off. Isn't that amazing? And I I think that Uh, is so, we need to just drive that point home a little bit more (laughs) because it it comes back to what we talked about earlier. You know, someone comes in with this goal that it's like, oh, I want to, you know, lose this amount of weight in like three weeks. And you're like, no, that's not going to happen. Just because I can put it on in that period of time which is possible, yeah. clearly, does it mean it's going to come mm-hmm. off in the same way? And so just understanding mm-hmm. that, you know, setting yourself up for success by having a long-term, slow, steady process is going to, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not going to you know happen overnight, which a lot of people want that immediate gratification. But like we've always talked about is it's consistency and it's patience and it's you know, using this opportunity to just bring some body awareness and find out what is the best approach for you in each given circumstance. You know, and it's also what is best for me in each given day. Right. And Mm -hmm. that is something that I have found very valuable about Shockwave is that the way it's designed you don't have to do the entire workout. Right. <laughs> it's planned for you in a day. Right. It's set up beautifully where there's a minimum, there's kind of a middle, a little higher middle, and a max. Mm-hmm. And I may go in with full intentions of barreling through the entire workout, and I get into the first lift and go, wow. I'm doing two more lifts and then I'm out of here. Right. But you know, it's okay. It's set up that way. Mm -hmm. You get the the biggest bang for your dollar and your time in the first setup. Right. And then if you have the time, if you have the energy, you can go on and make that day longer and make it more difficult and work more body parts, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to. And so really, if you're listening to your body, And you don't have the mentality of, if I walk out of here without completing this day's workout, you know, um, I've failed. If you don't have that mentality and you do exactly what your body tells you, you'll you'll give it the training that it needs. Right. Because if you start 
trying to complete workouts in a day that your body doesn't want to do. It's too tired to do. It can't do. And you do it anyway. You defeat the whole purpose of the reason that you went in there. Exactly. Because ultimately you're going to be catabolic. You're also going to have cortisol increase. You're going to have a stress response and your body's not going to grow and be the way you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which so, is, and I is love a hard, that. and that is right. But it's a hard thing to wrap your head around, um, especially if you're used to is. doing that crazy, intense, you know, go 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 workout. Um, you know, something that is unfortunately so um, pushed out in in the fitness world. It's like do more, mm-hmm. add this. Uh, you know, don't mm-hmm. stop, don't give up. You know, what is it? Sweat mm-hmm. is is you're fat crying or something. I hate those mm-hmm. sayings mm-hmm. because it's it's mm-hmm. instilling the wrong message. Um, it's telling you, yeah. no, if you feel uncomfortable, don't stop. Keep going. Oh, you're in pain. That's mm-hmm. good. Push harder, which is the opposite. I mean, maybe if you're a professional athlete and you're getting paid millions of dollars to push your body to that extent, go for oh, it. Yeah. But the average person yeah. <laughs> who just wants to feel better and look a little better, like bare minimum, if I can get away with, and that's honestly something I've been doing the past two, three months is I'm like, how little can I do and still look the way I want to look? And it's been surprisingly right. small. Like I actually don't have to do that much um, because mm-hmm. I've set myself up well. And now that that makes a huge difference. Something that, yeah, yeah. Something though that I, it kind of breaks my heart, but I do understand it. I've run up against recently with some clients and, and I say, you know, you really need to cut back that workout a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, and these are not my fitness clients. These are my nutrition clients. So I'm not really coaching them on their fitness. And they'll say, but I, I need the stress relief. I do it for the stress relief. Mm-hmm. And I, I cannot convince them that that serotonin and dopamine release that they get in the short term that tells their brain that was awesome. Do it again is only in the short term. And that at the very same time, they are releasing stress hormones that are telling their bodies to store fat. Mm -hmm. And so, and ultimately they need stress relief because they hate their bodies and they hate their lives and they want to make both better. And they feel good after their hard workout, but they don't understand they're actually making their ability to handle their life worse Mm -hmm. and they're making their bodies worse. Right. And, oh, it is such a hard battle to fight. Tell me about it. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Every day. And and I think, I mean... There's a lot of different mindsets that are going to go into it. Um, and and I, one tool that I try to offer clients is like, let's find other ways of, of managing your stress. Like you mentioned, meditation, mm-hmm. um, walks, mm-hmm. like walk whenever you can. If I can cut down someone's training to like the bare minimums and then just have them walk as much as possible, like you said you did mm-hmm. um, through one of your recoveries, like you just walked as much as you could and it, it made such a difference. And, and mm-hmm. I experienced that too um, during my recovery, like just walk. It helped with my sanity. It got my blood flowing, um, gave me peace of mind, made me feel more confident in being able to then start incorporating bigger movements. Um, but mm-hmm. also giving you that time to tune tune in and check in with yourself. Like, hey, how am I feeling? How does my body feel? Um, and that's one of the reasons why I include things like the dynamic warm-up 
into mm-hmm. training programs because that I use a dynamic warm up, which is like a, a full body uh, warm up series of movements, very very basic, maybe ten minutes or so. Um, but that I mean I, that's something I do regularly, and that's my check in. If I go, if that dynamic warm up goes well, I'm ready to go into mm-hmm. my training. If I'm struggling mm-hmm. through the dynamic warm up. I'm done. There's no reason I should be lifting after that. And so having some sort of a system, like check-in system, whatever that might be for you, maybe it's a few basic movements, maybe it's you walk to the gym and see how you feel, some sort of a check-in system to say, hey, where am I at? Where's my head at? Where's my body at? Should I be doing this Mm -hmm. right now? And that I did not know. Hard. I did not know that you did that. I didn't know you did that. I do that too. That's something <laughs> that we came up with on our own, and we didn't talk about it because I do. If you go through that warm up, and you think I can't do an inchworm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, you know, and and your air squats just seem not quite there. Um, there are many times I get through that warm up and go. I'm going to go for a walk now. (laughs) And so, yeah. Which is honestly the best thing that you could do, but you have to accept that. And that Mm -hmm. is really hard, especially from someone who has that, you know, over exercising background or history um, Mm -hmm. and and, and sort of that adrenaline junkie who's used that for so long, you know, to then try to rely on other tools is it takes time. And again, it's just it's taking time, being patient um, and and bringing as much awareness to yourself as possible. Yeah, yeah. Self-awareness is huge. Uh, I do have a a client and she was doing um, some workout that was taking her six days a week to this very, very, very difficult workout six days a week. And I, when she started doing it, I thought this is going to be a disaster, but (laughs) you know, I'm not going to tell her that because, you know, she's my nutrition client. And, and I thought I have taught her to listen to her body. Mm -hmm. Let's see if she can do it. And it was not two weeks later. She texted me and she said, should I be doing this six days a week? (laughs) And I said, what makes you ask the question? And she said, well, my shoulder hurts Mm -hmm. and I'm not sleeping well at night and I feel generally fatigued. And I went, bless your heart. You are listening to your body. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, I said, what do you think you should do? You know, and you know, that was, it was her learning to listen to her body and then making some really good decisions for herself That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. my goal overall for anybody. (laughs) Well, um, we just have a few minutes left. So I just want to make sure we we touch on all the points that we wanted to. Um, And I think one thing that we talked about at the very beginning before we started recording was just sort of what you've learned overall to be the the most beneficial for you, your goals, um, your body. What have you found that to be? What have I learned? Um, oh, well, well I, yeah. Well, learned in, in, in terms of like well, training for, for, styles or, or volumes, like what's okay. uh, the most manageable for you mm-hmm. um, that, that makes you feel the, the best? The most manageable. Yeah, yeah, got it. Um, a couple of full body moves, like a squat, like a deadlift. Make sure that I do those particular moves, um, at least three days a week, sometimes four. 
and make sure I get in at about one kind of a high intensity interval training and complement that with the cyclic uh, ketogenic diet, which is basically carb night. Mm -hmm. And I have found for me that if I want to just keep my muscle mass, keep my sanity, have time available in my day and not worry about anything, you know, really related to health and fitness, carb night with a few good full body moves and one good hit a week Mm -hmm. is excellent, excellent maintenance. So if I will do just that, I can make it through whatever hardship is going on until I can make my next fitness goal. Mm Mm-hmm which I'm very excited to hear about when the time comes because I'm always excited by your goals. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me just share with you real quick one of my new geeky things that I'm doing, but I'm doing it because I love, love, love my clients. And it's not um, exercise related, but I still want to share it. Um, I have had the, the pleasure, but it's also tough to be able to work with some ladies that are quite sick. They are in their 40s, but they have um, diabetes, type 2. One of them is on an insulin pump, and and others are just on medications. And I have needed to help them out with with their diet and their exercise regarding, you know, their disease. And I have decided that it behooves me to know what my blood sugar and my ketones are mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. So I have now started measuring my blood sugar in the morning, a few hour postprandial on carb night. And then that's just not enough. I also need to know what my ketones are doing. So I'm doing <laughs> ketone breath analysis as well along with that. Because I, I need to know what, where's blood sugar supposed to be? Where's my blood sugar? How, Mm -hmm. how can I coach them if I don't really know what it's supposed to be for somebody that's eating like I eat? And, um, so that's my now new geeky data collection thing is my blood sugar and ketones, (laughs) but I am doing it for the love of my patients and, (laughs) and you know, honestly, that hopefully I can make their lives and their diets better. Right. And I think as a coach, like that's, that's where it starts. It starts with the coach and the coach's experience, because I personally, like you said I'm never going to tell a client to do something that I haven't experienced that I haven't experimented Mm -hmm. on myself Um, and all I can do is Mm -hmm. give them what's worked for me and my assumptions on how it might work for them but I'll never I can't I don't feel confident prescribing anything that I Mm -hmm. haven't experienced and I'm perfectly comfortable saying I don't know but let me see if I can figure it out Um, so just even though like you, some of the obstacles that we came across weren't quite, you know, something I experienced. They were at least in the same category. So I had enough information to then mm-hmm. work off of, um, which I think really made yeah. a difference for the whole, for each and every, every goal and every process we went through. So um, I agree. I'm very excited that we were able to share this. I think, uh, you know, training is a question that, that often comes up when we talk about these diet protocols and what's appropriate, what's too much, what's not enough, um, especially for the ladies. And, I mean, it really comes mm-hmm. down to, you know, choosing your goal um, and, and setting everything up around that goal and making that goal the priority and being comfortable making the adjustments where you need to, whether you want to 
or not. Or if you choose to do it, understand what the consequences or repercussions might be. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. be ready to think through whether you, if you have uh, competing goals. Right. Which comes up a lot. The thing that would, the thing that would slow me down the most is when I had competing goals Mm -hmm. and I would have to decide, am I going to be okay with going slow or do I need to choose one or the other? Right. Right. And sometimes you don't have to decide that right away. And sometimes you have to experience it a little bit to then, you know, make a good decision for yourself. Um, but yeah, that that's that's part of the process. So, thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining me on the show again. I hope everyone found this um, insightful, if anything. And um, I, I'm sure we'll have you back on the show down the road at some point again, Carrie, because it's always fun talking to you and, and going over all of our trial and errors and experiments. Escapades, <laughs> exactly. escapades. <laughs> it's a never-ending <laughs> journey. <laughs> And that's okay. I don't want it to ever end. I want the journey to go until it's just done. Good. There's always a new hill to tackle. I like it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, um, everyone, for listening to another episode of Her Body. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Her Body IOFM with your hosts, Alex Navarro and Andrea Jengle. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more information about women's health and performance.